Hello everyone, welcome back to the Karak with Mehreen show. I'm so excited that this happened with this very special guest. She is such an inspiring person. She is the queen of tech entrepreneurship, the queen of networking, the queen of her organization, Jen Shi. She is Avni Barman and I'm so happy you're here. Aw, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited to be here with you. Awesome. So usually when we start, like I always... give a, a little intro of 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 the guest but i always like to ask the guest what who they think they are mm-hmm. um without mentioning your career because mm-hmm. i know um career really defines a person but then who you are is who you avni barman is not your career so right how would you how would you answer that yes wow well i These are very deep. I need like now I have to like think of it on the spot, which is no great. Worries. The first thing that comes with me is probably the right answer, right? Yes, exactly. That's the point. Um I definitely it's a good question too because I I feel like no one is one person. Um I think I'm someone who wants to leave a legacy. I think that's who I am and I think one of the biggest things that I'm trying to figure out right now is what is my path to leave that legacy? So I'm very much an explorer. um mode right now so i think my one word answer to that question probably explorer is like you know is the way that i leave in like my legacy on the world going to be as an engineer as an entrepreneur as an influencer as something completely different right that i have yet to discover mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful and i think um it's that's that's the goal right like to to leave an impact on the world whether it is through whatever that you do um but it's a struggle to find that that particular passion or that particular kind of impact that you want to leave but you're doing an amazing job already with all the amazing girls that you've you've impacted including myself Thank so you. so it's awesome oh, but when you say legacy what kind of legacy i know you said that you want to figure out like whether it's an entrepreneur or engineer but when you say legacy in particular mm-hmm. what, what do you what do you mean by that yeah I think leaving a legacy is, you know, changing the world in a way that's positive in a change that I particularly want to see in the world. I think for me right now is building a diverse and inclusive workplace and I feel like that's something that's really important to me. One because I've experienced it, you know, being in being a woman in tech. Yeah. I think the other thing is I truly believe that, you know, the companies of tomorrow are really going to change the world and though the success of a company is not necessarily based on how exciting the idea is or how novel it is i think the success of a company is truly based on the talent and the people that build it and so if the people that are building it are not representative of the people that are using their product the people that are interfacing with the company i don't see how that's going to build a better world and so for me it feels hypercritical for me to be a part of this particular change that I want to see. I don't have the exact answer on how exactly, you know, we're going to see this through. I think I have a lot of hypotheses and I I've, I've explored and tried different things which I think in a micro scale have worked really well. I think I've yet to discover like what exactly do we need to do because I think if I had the answer we would have been there already, right? And I, I don't think anyone has the answer because there's a reason why we're not there yet. whether that's my legacy that I'm going to leave on the world and it's something I'm going to pursue for the rest of my life or it's just the legacy I need to leave on the world right now in this moment of my life I think that's unclear I can think it's totally possible where you know this is my now phase of my life and then in the future I go and pursue a different problem that I care about or I'm interested in yeah 
Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. And I, I can see like your passion in, in this in empowering women and in, in making a society that's inclusive and diverse. And the the benefits of that is insane, like economically, like there's a lot of studies that have done that really show the benefits. Um, so actually achieving that society, it's crazy that we haven't done it yet. But people like you yeah. are, are. It's actually numbers are going down. We're seeing that less women are staying in uh, engineering roles uh-huh. and that, yeah. you know, less women are graduating with STEM degrees, which is crazy because if you look on, like, if you just look at society in general, we're, there's a lot more awareness on the problem and there's a lot more people that are actually doing things about it. Yeah. Um, so that something's not right here, right? Yeah. And we really have to figure it out. Yeah. So it's a work in progress mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So what, what inspired you to, to work on this particular issue was, was there like a personal experience, like your childhood, something that kind of led to you being so passionate about this? Yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area surrounded by technology and innovation. So being a part of that, I think it was obvious for me at a very young age. I was very excited by it. I really saw firsthand how powerful technology can be and how it has the capacity to really change the world. And, and one piece of software can impact billions of people. Truly blew my mind. So being a part of that was always very important to me from early age. So I think the natural thing to do was, okay, well, I want to witness this firsthand. I want to go work at a big tech company and see how software actually can impact so many people. So I think that was obvious. Um, working in big tech and working at these huge companies where they they truly feels like they have infinite resources to do anything in the world. Yet it felt like, you know, solving the gender balance issue in the workplace. Like it seemed like they, with infinite resources and money and they still weren't able to solve. In fact, we were so far from it. I was like the only woman on my team in one moment of this. I was just shocked. I was like, I really don't know then maybe if money's not the issue, there's something else that we need to solve and I need to go and solve it. I think it it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. I felt really dissatisfied and felt unfulfilled by it. And, And most importantly, I felt like, if I truly believe in this problem and if I truly want to see that change, then I shouldn't sit around and stare at it. Like I should probably go do something about it. Yeah. Um, and, and that was kind of it. I, I worked in tech for a few years before I quit and did this full time. But through that time, I was slowly in the background building Genshi, growing the community and, and researching and trying to figure out like really what is the best way to tackle the problem. I've only recently quit my job and I'm doing this full time. I think I'm much closer to the answer, but I think there's so much more left here yet to discover. What's like the biggest finding that that you got about like why this disparity still exists and yeah, and and how we could tackle it? Yeah, I think that culture at companies starts from leadership. Mm-hmm. It starts from that level. And the reality of the situation is that most tech companies are started by guys. And I think that's um, just the nature of Silicon Valley. And also um, we can we can dig into that rabbit hole in a sec. But but most tech companies are started by guys. And the first few people that they hire are going to be people in their network, their friends, which are going to be other guys. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, that's not their fault, right? That's just that's a very natural. natural human thing yeah. to hire people that look and sound like you who are like naturally in your orbit. So what happens is the first few people of the company start off as unequal and they end up being the leaders of the company in the future. And that is where culture is formed. And at those early stages of company, when culture is formed for this very tailored set of mostly men, right? You can imagine that it's going to, like the first woman who joins a team is going to very obviously and naturally feel uncomfortable or out of place. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not because anyone's trying to do it. It's just human 
and it's just natural. And so I found that, you know, looking at companies where from day one, from the leadership level and like the first few employees of the company, when they were gender balanced, it became very easy for them to scale that gender equity as the company grew. But for the companies that did not in the earlier stages, it they continued to grow, grow more and more imbalanced. And the more men that are at the company, the harder it is for women to be excited about joining that company. And then that problem perpetuates as the company gets bigger till you get to a point where look at all these big tech companies today where today where, you know, they can throw billions of dollars at the issue. We're not denying that they don't care about it, that they're not putting the money into the problem. It's just never going to be solved. It's too big, right? Like if there are, you know, let's say there's 10,000 people at a company and, you know, 30% are women, right? Like they have to get thousands of more women at the company to be equitable. That's just a very daunting, challenging task yeah. truly for anyone to do, right? Yeah. So I think that has been the biggest finding so far of like how, you know, companies of the future can think about this. And if you are, you are a company in your early stages right now, thinking about this is really critical because not for the sake of like doing good for the world, it's actually going to make a lot more business sense for you in the future because women are rising the workforce, but more importantly, Women have like 80% of purchasing power in the exactly. world. So if you're building companies and you want to make money, you should probably have someone on your team that actually understands who they're selling to. And I mean, there's like billions of people in the world and 50% are women. Are women. So I mean, the, the logic and the math just add, it all adds up. Yeah, it just makes sense that way. Mm -hmm. And you were when you were talking about this, we were talking about how like, it's not the men's fault. Like, you know, they, it's natural for them to like, um, to recruit people who look like them and, and all of that. But then it, the cycle continues and it perpetuates. But then don't you think that um, it is those people who need to put a little bit of more effort to make wh whatever woman comes in like more comfortable or not feel out of place? Like it is their responsibility to do that? I think no, because I think it's just a very unrealistic thing to mm -hmm. ask, right? If you don't, understand it if you are not that person it's going to be very difficult for you to empathize and to understand like what do they actually need more importantly maybe this maybe it's like let's say it's an only female on the team there are like five men there's one girl right maybe she doesn't even want to hang out with them right like even if they're being inclusive and they're trying mm -hmm. i think what's critical there is you know maybe she wasn't alone in that situation maybe there was another woman there there was like a few more women there with like she could find like more of an like a, more of a connection and um, more of a, you know, natural understanding of who they are simply because, like, you know, they are fundamentally different people. And so I find it sometimes that people put the weight and the pressure on men to now change their habits and their behaviors to accommodate this, like, woman ruin, which doesn't make sense for anyone. It doesn't make sense for them or the team or the culture or whatever. Um, it's better to focus on building rooms with, you know, equal amounts of representation, not just actually gender, for race and, yes. and other minorities as well, that all this stuff will naturally and organically happen where it'll be just way more authentic. Mm -hmm. uh, and and what do you think about stereotypes? Like, um, in, besides culture, there's also the idea that um, people have stereotypical views of how a woman would work, that they're going to get pregnant. So, uh, and so that's why um, it's better to not recruit them or to give them a lower salary or, or whatnot. Um, have you experienced that? What do you think of this particular issue? Yeah. I mean, stereotypes are real, right? Like the stereotype of a woman being pregnant and having to step back from work is real because, you know, 
biologically women are the only ones who can have babies, right? So I understand the stereotype. It is obviously wrong for reasons I don't need to explain. Mm -hmm. However, I think what, you know, disturbs me and what, you know, makes me frustrated is this idea of projecting these assumptions onto a woman. Maybe that woman does not want to have kids, right? Like don't project that. Or maybe like that woman has made a choice to have their pregnancy this way versus alternate way. Maybe they, they don't take more time off or less time off, right? It's like everyone has their own unique path and everyone is allowed and should be allowed to be and do whatever they want, yeah. right? And I think that the problem arises when they put the stereotypes on one of like every woman should give birth and every woman should take off or not take off or like having some sort of definition or standard for like how a woman should be. I think that's ultimately the problem. If a woman is really excited about giving birth and having a baby and taking those years off from the career, great, she should do that. That's her best version of herself, right? But if she doesn't want to, you know, don't project those assumptions onto her. Don't, you know, assume that's going to happen or assume that she's going to do that. Yeah. Um, ultimately, right, there is... This reality that, you know, if you take off work, if you're pregnant, there are just less time, there's just less minutes in the day where you are spending time on your work, on your career. And so naturally, the next person, probably the man who's spending more minutes and more time, you know, giving to their work because they, you know, are not pregnant with a child, is probably going to have a greater output. That's like literally just numbers at the end of the day. So I can understand that sentiment. So I think the best thing for us to do for women is I think one, really empower them to start thinking about their career and thinking about entrepreneurship if they're excited about that much earlier in their life because they have the biological lock and they have that around them, right? So how can we encourage younger women to think about this much, much earlier? Um, And, you know, there is this concept of a tipping point. The idea of a tipping point is like, you continue to put in input every day and you might not directly see that output in that moment. But at some point in your career, you'll see all the output in one moment and it'll feel like in that moment it came from a tiny little thing, but actually it's the sum of the output accumulation of all that work, right? And then after you reach your tipping point, I do believe there is this kind of moment for someone in their career where they can write out their successes and they have to put a lot less input to get a lot of output. So how can we, if, if we really don't want to fight this biological clock and we really want women who still want to be mothers and have families and give the time to their child in their pregnancy, but still have these outstanding careers, how can we empower women to reach this tipping point earlier in their career? And the reality of the situation is it's not giving special treatment or necessarily, you know, doing, having, needing to do more earlier age. I think if we were just we were fairly treating women at all stages of life and all stages of education and, you know, not putting them down when they want that promotion, not, you know, speaking over them in the room. These, all these micro actions put women behind. But if we could just somehow eliminate all of that, and that comes from really like not projecting assumptions, stereotypes on them. I don't think it's unreasonable for women to reach their tipping point early in the career, just like many men do that too, right? I just think that, the reality of the situation is they don't have these, you know, microaggressions at their way all throughout their career where, like, those are friction points, right, that yeah, that sure. is being added on to it. sure. And I think it also has a lot to do with, like, what women hear growing up, um, at least from what I've seen. I come from Dubai, and uh, my family is Pakistani. So what I've seen is uh, women are talked uh, to about marriage a lot more than their careers, than than their brothers or whatnot. And even though in, in for example, it, among my family, that was not very prominent. 
Um, but I've seen it still exist today where um, marriage is always like a hot topic, especially when there's a girl in the family. And so that also kind of eliminates that idea of thinking of cur- your career mm-hmm. before marriage or or kind of discourages you, even if you are very career oriented. Mm-hmm. It's just that these topics that people talk about around you plays a huge role in what you aspire to be later on. Um, so yeah, conversations and the way and your upbringing, I think, plays plays a huge role as well. And I agree, like empowering women on at an early age, it goes a really long way. And 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 yeah, so true. Yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, what do you think about in in your upbringing? Did you face any kind of um, I don't know any kind of discrimination? Um, any kind of challenges uh, because of the fact that you're a woman or um, and how did you kind of navigate through those challenges? Yeah, I think growing up in the Bay Area is a very privileged place to be. Yeah. I think that I was exposed to just a lot of opportunity just being, you know, here in the midst of it from very early age. So I feel very lucky and very privileged to have had that. And it's also a big reason why I feel almost it's my duty to give back to the community that I'm building because I feel like I've seen things that, you know, most people don't get to see living in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, So I want to bring that education, bring that exposure to like more people around the world. In that way, I feel like the answer is no. And also, I think my parents just very, very supportive about my dreams from very early age where they're always encouraged us to be whoever we want to be and to really like set our heart into that and go pursue it at a full force. So I feel also very lucky to have, you know, grown up with parents who like that. Um, I do think that, you know, as a woman in any place in the world, there are always going to be obstacles. And I think just like any woman, I have experienced that in my career, at school, in, you know, these micro moments. It could be as simple as, you know, I'm at a networking event and I'm talking to a guy and they, like, don't take me seriously in that moment and they don't think I have a real company. Or um, as complex, you know, as – being the only woman on my team and being being told basically that I didn't really fit in that well. And it wasn't that I was someone who couldn't fit in with them. I think doing things that weren't natural to me was actually the way to fit in. And I, I think I was too proud of my own identity and didn't really feel like I wanted to go and be up and beyond and change myself to be included into them. And because I didn't take those steps and take those actions, I was almost called out for not being like good enough or included in the team. And I think that was very hurtful for me because on one end, I had taken the decision to not change myself and adapt to other people for the sake of the job and the company. Um, And I think in that moment, I think subconsciously I understood what I was doing and I was like, it feels like there might be some consequences action, but I didn't think I, I didn't think I actually expected it to happen. And when it actually happened, I was like, wow, like I almost knew this. Why did I let this happen to myself? And I think it was almost me just being proud and like, I don't want to change myself for someone else. And if I'm not going to belong here, then I will find somewhere else where I belong, which is really sad, right? Because after that, I didn't I didn't continue pursuing engineering, right? I went into product management and now I'm like building this company and and I almost like naturally like stayed 
away from that after that. And I don't think it's really because of that experience. I think, you know, when I was going into engineering, I kind of already had decided that I was going to go pre-pursuing to other things. So I don't want to say it was because of that, but I can imagine there are a lot of other situations where it might actually have been because of that, where a woman like goes away from STEM. And we see that a lot in data. We see that, you know, women are graduating STEM careers almost at a 50% rate as men in schools. And then when you look at the data, you know, three, four years into their career, like the rate at which, you know, women in STEM decline their careers, it's like this literal drop off. And it's probably because, you know, they start off in these careers because they have the skills and they're excited about it. And very quickly they realize that there are spaces outside of STEM that are more inclusive, that are more natural and more accommodating to their needs and help them build the best version of, you know, what they want their work-life balance to be and, and how they want to show up at work. Yeah. Yeah. Which I get it. I get it too. You know, I, but that, that's, that's sad for companies and it's sad for our future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, um, I know it's just really sad to think that there, as you said, like 50% of women, um, graduate from STEM and it's, and they work so hard into, into these degrees and they're, very probably very smart and very good at it but a lot to do it has a lot to do with the environment and culture that eventually like breaks that um that excitement down and yeah and that's that's really sad sad to see so we definitely have like a long way to go to to, to change that but it's progress do you think there's enough progress being made um I mean, when I see the numbers going down, it's really hard to say that. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's one of those things where in the moment it feels frustrating and it feels like we're not advancing. But like a few years from now, when we zoom out, we'll see that, I, you know, maybe it was a small dip and then a spike of growth because people are doing the work. People are bringing awareness to the issue. I'm not the only one in the world solving this problem. Mm-hmm. I want to be hopeful and I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um I hope to bring about that progress. So simply by the fact that I'm working on it and I believe in my company and I want to change the status quo on this. I want to say, yes, we will get there because I'm going to physically be a part of that, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think that there is also this, you know, tide from Gen Z in the workforce right now of asking for wanting a lot more in their careers and asking for companies to take more responsibility for how they show up at work and what they do day to day. So that mixed with this, I think, creates a whole new conversation of what does work actually mean and how should people balance work with their life and what is the right answer for people. And I think, I think people are really still trying to figure that out. And I think there is a different answer for, you know, you showing up to work as a woman versus you showing up to man. And I would hope that we reach a place one day where it's not actually a different question. For sure. I really hope that too. Yeah. And um, actually going back to what you mentioned about identity and you were saying that I'm very proud of my identity. I don't want to I don't want to shift from that. And you wanted to stick to that identity. And when you talk about identity, there are so many different factors that contribute to, to shaping your identity. For example, you've lived in three different cities in the U.S. Your opinions must have varied and evolved a yeah. lot from from those experiences. Totally. So. How do you think living in the, in those three different cities shaped your identity and your views? 
Oh my God. That is a wild question because I could literally talk about this for five hours. (laughs) Um, I think at the core of who I am, it hasn't changed. But Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the decisions around how I live my life and what I do on a day-to-day has changed a lot from experiencing time in these three really big cities. And I also think that in in the moments or when I was in these three different cities, I was also different because I was trying to be the best version of myself given the context. Yeah. And I was also at these different cities at different times in my life. So I lived in LA for four years, but that was when I was a student, when I was going to USC as a as a college girl, right? Like my life was very different than what it is today. Mm-hmm. I think at that point I was very open-minded and very much exploring, you know, what are the different careers out there? How am I going to fit into these different roles? And also just enjoying and experiencing LA and all it has to offer. You know, first time I'm living alone, away from my parents, or what does it mean for me to be a young independent woman who um, makes my own decisions and has my own bank account? So I think like a lot of that happened in LA for me. And I feel like I learned One very important thing at the end of college was I need to constantly have a source of creativity and inspiration around me. So I think at the core, I need to always remain a city girl. I think it's in these big cities. Do you constantly have have a flow of, you know, diversity of perspectives and experiences and, and just a lot around you that you can learn from? But I did not. But the but the other thing I learned in L.A. was that community and the people that I am surrounded by day to day, like I want to be like-minded to them and I want to be close to them. And I really struggled to find that community feeling in LA. Mm -hmm. And it's not because there are not amazing people in LA who I can learn from and be friends with. Because of the geographical nature of the city, it's so big. It takes hours to get to anywhere. And the traffic is so bad. So if I just want to see my friend, the the friction to do that is so high. You sit in traffic, you drive there. I started to, I, and I didn't live in LA after I graduated, by the way. I just visited there a few times, and that's where I noticed this. I felt like it was going to be a very lonely city where I was going to be spending all my time trying to get to people to connect with them. Whereas when I was in college, I was on campus and I so was, was like soaked easier. into it. Yeah. So I learned that lesson. I was like, okay, I need to be a city girl and I need to be surrounded by people all the time because I want to learn something new from someone every single day. So I knew at that moment I couldn't live in L.A. after that. I came to San Francisco when I graduated because I had a job here in tech, in big tech specifically. That's all in SF and Silicon Valley. So for me to begin my career here specifically there, it just made the most sense. Yeah. Um, And I really, really did learn a lot very fast. But six months into that, we were in a pandemic. So we kind of like – I kind of want to skip over the pandemic because I think I stayed in SF at that time, but it just no city was yeah, normal and real. Happened. Yeah, and I think for me staying in SF during that time was perfect because I still got to maintain my independence day in my own apartment rather than moving home during the pandemic. But I was close enough to my family because my family's from here, where I could still go you home and have dinner with them and not like be alone in this apartment like during yeah. the pandemic, not being able to see anyone. So that was perfect for me. But as soon as the pandemic was over, I was like, okay, it's very obvious that I need to go somewhere else. At that point, my work was remote only, so I could go anywhere, which was not a real situation before the pandemic. So I was like, this is my great opportunity. I've dreamt of living in New York my entire life. That's the last city left on my bucket list of where I need to deeply explore, so I moved there. 
New York taught me more than any city in the world. I cannot even describe like what that experience was. I will try my best though. (laughs) It was this feeling of like you are surrounded by a million things at every moment. People, you know, information, like creativity and, you know, noise and food and it just everything but but at the same time because there's almost so much to do and the friction to getting around and getting to people is so low you're kind of nowhere at all points in time and so kind of how I like to describe it and I would say everyone listening take this with a grain of salt because (laughs) these are just kind of my thoughts as I navigate it is hot take my hot take I guess (laughs) When I moved to New York, I had a very stable job. I had a really good income. And I was doing this job very easily. I was not very challenged. I felt very secure. It was a remote job, right? Yes, it was my remote job. There actually was an office in New York, so I still got the in-person. So it was perfect. But, you know, I wasn't required to be in SF. I felt like because I was very settled and I was feeling very at peace with everything around me and I wasn't really trying to strive for anything in that moment I was like finally writing out my success for like one moment it felt very okay to be surrounded by this chaos 24 7 and it was like wow this is like a great experience every day I get to like discover a new thing go see a new person go experience a new event go find this new restaurant new bar whatever but the second that I had quit my job and my internal Peace was gone and it was replaced by chaos, which anyone who starts a company and is a founder, like that's normal. I promise I'm not crazy, but building something from scratch, trying to navigate like how to, you know, make money, how to hire people, like what is your company? How are you going to grow? That is very difficult to do. And it comes with a lot of chaos, chaos that I chose. So I was really excited about that, but I could no longer handle the chaos of the city adding on to my internal chaos. That makes sense. And so that was when I knew I had to leave. I had to go to a place where I felt like I did not need to constantly explore it. And I did not need to constantly stay in tune with it. And I needed to hear my own thoughts. I can't, I could not hear my own thoughts in New York. It yeah. felt like I had no ownership of my time and my space, specifically space, right? Because it's so, everything is so small and packed there. And you have to be very, very wealthy to have like a really big space. I'm obviously not very wealthy. Um But I know for sure I'm going to go back to New York because that was like the best two years of my life. I really feel like I deeply understood who I wanted to be after that and what I wanted to do. And it was where I finally made the hard choice of quitting my job and building a company because I have known that about myself for as long as I can remember, literally since I was 14, that I I want to build something myself. Like I want to build a company, whatever that is. I didn't know exactly what it was. And I feel like I was able to finally make that leap and finally be sure about that decision when I was there. And I can't really explain, like pinpoint what it was, but it was almost this feeling of when I had come to New York, I felt full circle and like I have seen all kinds of people truly. Because New York really offers that. It's not like I'm just interacting with tech people or I'm just interacting with yeah. creators in LA. Like in New York, you, you fully interact with every type of person. Yeah. Having explored that, having interacted with all kinds of people, it helped me bring closure and full circle on like the type of person I wanted to be. And once I was sure of that, then, you know, this next step to take and then the next thing to do became obvious. I was like, well, now I have to do that now that I'm sure. And once I did that a few months after that, 
I left New York and I came back here where, you know, tech is booming. And, you know, when you're starting a company and you're in the early stages, you need to be at a place that's going to support you in that growth. Yeah. Well, we learned a lot from the, those experiences. Yeah. I was trying to make the answer short. It didn't happen. <laughs> no, but it was perfect. Like it's, there's a lot to take in and, and, and it's beautiful how you kind of um, reflected so much from each of those experiences and learned a lot about yourself in such a short amount of time. Like uh, you said that you're just, you were in New York just for two years and in two years you're able to figure out like, I want to quit my job. I want to move. Like that's a lot. So that's actually like crazy and it's pretty cool. Um, and and I, I went to New York once um, this year and even though I was just there for 10 days, I felt what you were explaining mm -hmm. that like, there's always something going on. There's just all kinds of people and it's just a burst of like creativity because you learn something from everyone, which I absolutely love as well. But it was interesting to see that you can kind of lose yourself uh, in that way because there's there's just so much so much going on. And yeah, did you ever feel lonely in, in that process of, you know, reflecting and figuring out you have to quit and, and all of that? Yes, lonely in a way that I think is different than way most people feel lonely. Uh -huh. I didn't feel lonely in the sense of the fact that I couldn't talk to people about what I was feeling because, again, growing up here, this idea of quitting your job building company is not the most crazy thing as it is maybe in other places. Yeah. I felt like I had people to talk to. I felt like when you go to New York, it is very, very difficult to end up there. Besides the fact of just having the money to get an apartment there, yeah. just getting an apartment in general is like a crazy <laughs> feat. Like there are basically no apartments on the markets. Ones that are on the market are like insanely expensive. expensive. And then they basically go in like 12 hours and you have to, many people sign without even looking at the apartment. It's just like, the, because, because every single person options. in the world wants to live in New York, right? So you're competing with all these people. Just getting to New York and signing a lease is such a huge feat. It's not for the weak. So the people that end up in New York and actually living there, they're a very rare, rare unique type of person. This person wants to be in New York, do or die. Like yeah. they've gone through Makes the worst sense. to get there. And I think the type of person who's going to go through that energy and effort and, and end up there and then actually live there, they're coming there to do the most, yeah. simply put. Yeah. And I felt like the reason why I struggled to connect with people in New York was because they had kind of reached, it felt like the everyone I interacted with, and I didn't interact with everyone, so I'm not trying to say this is every single person in New York, but they had kind of come to New York kind of with this like, I've made it feeling of like, oh, I'm done now. Like I've done the hardest part. I've come to the best city in the world and I can afford it. And now I can like live my best life here every day. I found myself very disconnected to that message because I was like, I've barely made it. I mean, I have my whole life to live. I want to go build a company. I want to like be much more successful than I am today. I don't feel like me getting a big tech job that can afford an apartment here is my idea of, of made it. Yeah. I, there's so much more I want to discover. And there's so much of a bigger world outside of New York, even though I do find that New York is about my favorite city in the world. So I, I understood that love for it. But at the same time, it's really difficult to connect to people that don't share your same idea yeah. of success and yeah. also the stage of life they're at. And so 
people who are I found that everyone there kind of like has this, you know, goal to get to Friday and then just like be wasted the whole weekend and try to see the whole city and then do that over again. And it was kind of like getting through the Monday to Friday just to like do the most of the weekend. And I wanted to live my greatest day every day, not like just survive the week and then get to the weekend. weekend, And then, you know, if I'm working, I work on a Monday and a Saturday or I'll take off on a Monday and I'll. I'll work on a Sunday. Like for me, this idea of the concept of a day is not real, right? Every day I can wake up and do whatever I want with it, right? If I need a rest day, that can be a rest day. If it's a Monday, fine, it's a Monday. And if I need a work day and it's a Saturday, it's a Saturday, fine. Like who made up this idea of a day? And that's another thing is like when you're in the city, a Saturday is very clearly a Saturday in the city. Like you cannot be in your apartment in peace. Like there's like so much noise, like honking and music and people screaming and drinking and oh my god so as someone who like enjoys being social and enjoys going out and there was a lot of FOMO I was experiencing we were talking about that earlier um and it was very difficult to concentrate and wake up every day living the best version of myself and living every day with intention I felt like I was kind of going along with the flow of the city Yeah. yeah and I wonder if this is actually just a difference between you know, having money or not. I wonder if, what if I had a lot of money and I could live in a a luxury high rise that's like huge away from the city and come to the city in moments when I'm ready to tap into, would that actually be the difference? And I hate to make it about money. I hate that. But I wonder if it was just because I was, you know, in an apartment that I could afford the best I could do. And I was almost subject to these constraints. So I I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, I have not been that person who lives in this giant penthouse in a luxury building with that can block out noise of the city if I decide to, right? So I don't I don't actually know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting what you said about how like you met people who kind of felt like they've made it in New York. Um, because I thought in New York, uh people considered as like a one stop hub. Like it's like a it's like a transit to mm-hmm. wherever else they want wanna go. Like they come here to live whatever dream they want to live. And once they've done it, they leave. Because that's how I pictured New York to be. So that was Me in- too. Yeah. I thought that too. Maybe it was just a circle I was in. And with the point you made about money, I think that plays, that makes a lot of sense. It, it's a lot about like the circle you were in were probably people who were, who had good apartments. And, and so their perspectives on like, on how they want to live New York was very so possible everyone else yeah so and and i think i will have an answer to this when i go back to new york in the future yeah and yeah. a different phase of my life yeah. with <laughs> different money in my bank account yeah and i will i will i will come back to you and i'll let you know we'll have another episode yes exactly <laughs> awesome but yeah that's um it's a lot to learn from from these from these huge cities and when you talk about people you were talking about how you know you don't there were certain communities where you didn't connect with like for example um in new york you didn't connect with some of the people in in la um the it was hard to connect physically because of the distance and so on so when it comes to people and relationships and that can be a struggle especially when you know that especially in the world of networking Mm. so my question is in the world of networking where you want to like meet as many people as you can, like learn from them, do this and that with them. 
do you think it can come to a point where it becomes superficial like networking becomes like this thing where you're kind of exploiting people or just superficially connecting with a lot of people like the quantity of people rather than the quality of relationships so how do you kind of maintain those like genuine connections in 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 this world of of mm-hmm. networking yeah great question i think that whatever outcome you're going to get from that connection is going to be as deep as your relationship with them. So if you want something phenomenal phenomenal out of a connection, you have to build a phenomenal relationship as mm-hmm. well. So at the end of the day, you know, it actually does boil down to quality. It really just takes one person to change your career and change your life, right? So this person who does that needs to be a quality person, right? So building quality relationships and building them deeply is actually how you get to unlock much more from a referral. But at the end of the day, how do you know what's quality? It takes quantity and exploration of quantity to find quality to then decide to invest in them. So it actually the answer is both. And ultimately, this idea of networking, the idea of connection, I think a lot of people think of it as a transaction. It's cringy. It's very, um, it doesn't feel authentic, which I think in some cases too, right? Maybe when you're trying to fu- get get to quality, you have to go go through that quantity, yeah. and and maybe it's less authentic. It's but a funnel, I guess. Yeah. If you approach every connection you're going to get open mindedly and positively, you might be able to discover something deeper there that could really bring about a connection that is you know career changing. And ultimately, every connection and every person that you meet who has the potential to change your career is realistically not going to do it unless you have a value to offer them. Mm-hmm. The entire world is built on transactions. Even even with the love of your life, it's built on this transaction of I give you love, you give me love, right? So you can't say that, you know, it's not a, everything is, right? So instead of focusing on who is a good connection to make? How can I make all these connections? And how can I strategically ask them something? Focus more on how can I provide value to every person I meet? And if you come across as someone who's valuable, who's authentic, who's friendly, all the opportunities are going to come naturally and organically to you. So what I try to do is I network a lot. And I feel like whenever I say that, it comes across as cringe. But I'm like, this is networking right now, right? Like, I'm like on your podcast. Maybe one day I'm going to ask you something in the future and you're going to be like, oh, she was on my podcast. She gave something to me. Like, I want to give something to her, right? So it's it's about taking a bet and investing in people and then giving them value and, and just being giving in general. And all the things that are, they're just going to come for you. You don't have to you know, go find it and then beg for it and think about how to strategically beg for it. It's it's never going to work that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, especially because, um, like, we learn a lot about networking in school. Like, we have classes about them. But the way it's taught is more, is more superficial, as I said. It's less authentic. It makes it seem like... I mean, I agree that everything is a transaction, but then... Um, you you 
making relationships a transaction in a way where you're kind of exploiting the other person that can be quite harmful and and just i don't know it does it doesn't make me feel happy as well so the the way you said that quantity is just will help you define quality and mm-hmm. then that quality is when you start investing the person just to give the person and everything else will come as a result and i think that's like the best way to put it yeah it's like you, it's really just giving and then the byproduct of that you will see so yeah i i actually really love that perspective and in terms of the people in your life and your support system and relationships how how do you think you've been able to maintain a genuine connection with with your with the closest people around you while being a, while having to like work and mm-hmm. do careers and, and and things like that um oh my god i mean i struggle with this yeah so much right because i obviously yeah. love the people i'm closest to my family my partner everyone so deeply but I often feel like work takes so much from me. I can barely even give to myself, let alone anyone else. Yeah. And I think this is like a, an internal conflict I deal with every single day. And I don't really know a good answer to it yet. I do think sometimes I am not the best person to continue to keep my relationships loving and close. But I think what I feel very grateful or is that those people in my life who maybe I'm not giving to as much maybe time I think there is this deep understanding that I'm in a phase and I have my moment because I can show love in other ways maybe I don't have the capacity right now to show love through the purpose of time like I don't have that much time to give but I think it's the small micro moments that really matter at the end of the day right when they were in their deepest darkest moment did you drop everything for them and stay supportive right when is it your birthday right did you make them feel like the most important person that day um and show them that like you're thinking about them it could be as simple as just sexting and saying hey i'm thinking about you that takes 30 seconds and maybe you don't talk to them the rest of the day and i i find that those moments help me keep these relationships in my life when i don't think that right now i'm being the best, you know, family member, friend, partner, whatever that i have the potential to be and it's almost what drives me is that if i can find clarity in my career, if i can achieve that success, i will have more resources and resources honestly being time, i don't mean materialistically like money to give just so much more to the people that have stood by me and supported me through this journey. I do think that wealth unlocks the biggest resource of all which is your time, right? And I think for me that is one of the biggest I guess you could say hopes I have that I can figure this out for myself so that I can be that person that I want to be and I'm very grateful that you know the closest people in my life also understand that and are going to patiently support me until I get there. and that that comes from a place of insane privilege and i and i know that privilege that i have yeah i think for sure it's it's beautiful that you have a support system that understands the phase you're in and everything and they give value to those small moments like even from my experience what i've noticed is 
Um, like I moved out of my family's house as well. But whenever I go back, even if it's just for an hour and I talk to my mom just for an hour, but I actually give her my time and we're talking, um, that goes a long way versus if I'm at home even for a month or two. So, so true. I, I definitely agree with the small moments, how much they how, how much weight we, we should give to them. Um, but in terms of when, when we talk about happiness, for example, there's so many different factors that contribute to happiness. And of course, career is a part of it. Relationship is a part of it. Health is a part of it. What, what do you think is, is one of the, the biggest contributors to happiness? Do, do you feel you're happy right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel very happy. It's not because I have the, I've achieved the most successful version of myself or that I have the best support system in my life or that uh, there's something about me that I love. That's not why I feel happy today. I feel really happy because I've lived all 26 years of my life to my fullest and I can sit here today and look back at the past 26 years and know that I have no regrets about how I lived it. And I think that's actually the key to unlocking happiness is like, do you wake up every day and you look at yesterday and you think, oh, I truly lived yesterday and I have no regrets about that. And as I want to be so many things in the world. I want to be a successful entrepreneur. I want to be a successful influencer. I want to be a successful partner, successful mother, daughter, everything. I, I just want to, I want to do it all. I genuinely, I genuinely think about that a lot. And I feel like the the reality is I can't be all those things every day. And so I want to basically look back at my past and be really happy with, you know, what I have tried, what I have explored and get closer to having achieved all these versions of myself that I want to be. And I, I haven't achieved or unlocked all these yet, right? I have a very long life to live, but I feel really confident and I feel really happy about how I've lived my life so far and what I have explored. And I am really excited about, you know, what's left in the future. I just need to wake up every morning, be mindful about this and being grateful about today. And then like making sure that, you know, the decisions I make in the future are ones that are not going to end up in regret in the future. And I think that comes with a place of a lot of reflection, reflection right? Reflection, for sure. You have to know what drives you, you and, and yeah. what will be regretful for you versus what will not, right? So, because I, I can't tell anyone don't do this or do this because you'll be regretful versus not because that comes internally. Yeah. So being, being I think, in tune with like your needs and like what excites you and how you want to live your life to be able to be like, okay, this is actually a very critical decision I need to make right now. And a lot of the times, it's not logical to other people around you. They'll get upset. They'll be like, this doesn't make sense. But you have your plan and that you know it makes sense for you because you have, you know, asked yourself that question and you've reflected on it. And so I try really hard to, you know, keep that compass aligned within me and not be influenced by external perspectives, especially from the people that I love the most. Oftentimes they yeah, they might have the hard. best intention I mean not not might they do have the best intentions for me but they don't understand me as deeply as I understand me yeah and so sometimes even though you know they might want something for me I might need something different in that moment and it's okay if they don't understand and I don't think I need to explain it as long as I 
continue to support them and they continue to support me, sometimes often blind, which I think that, you know, might not be the reality for everyone. I think that's a nice to have. I think that's an ideal version of life. You know, expecting the people around you to blindly support you even if they don't understand or align with your beliefs. So I think it's okay sometimes to disagree and and just kind of leave it at that. I think that's my biggest problem, like based on what you've – it was a reflection moment for me Mm -hmm. that like even though I I make my own decisions and and everything, but I focus a lot on discussing my decisions with the people that I love and seeing what they think of it. And even if they disagree with me – and even if I pursue it, regardless of their disagreement, it would always be in the back of my head. And that's always been like a struggle for me to to just believe in what I believe in and not let others influence me. Even though I agree, like my family has the best intentions for me always. Um, so I, I, f- I find that difficult to do. Was, was that difficult for you at first or how did you kind of develop that? Oh my God, so difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult every day. I, I don't think that I have stopped experiencing it. If anything, it, it almost, I, I'm i making, I guess you could say like more atypical and more wilder decisions every single day. I'm getting closer and closer, or I'm getting, not closer, farther and farther away from what I think people expect around yeah. me. And I know that when I make decisions, it's very often going to be wrong. There's no way I'm going to make the correct decision at any point. But what I said earlier, right, it's about living a life with no regrets. It doesn't mean living a life where you make every decision correctly. Because I know that with every wrong decision comes a very critical learning that I couldn't have gotten unless I had made that wrong decision, unless I had failed in that way. And every failure just brings you closer to what the right answer is and what you're meant to do. So I've tried, and, and I'm not perfect, and this isn't something that I do well every day but what I try to do is have this mindset every time I fail and something goes wrong is see that as something positive and say great perfect I'm so glad I failed because now I'm closer and I'm so excited to see what that is because I don't know what it is but I knew this was a critical step I need to take so awesome I'm closer now and that's very difficult to do on a day-to-day basis like so much easier said than done like I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I'm just like a master at this (laughs) But I try really hard to think of it that way and be optimistic because ultimately there is no way you can reach your success and your goals if you're negative about it. It's 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 actually impossible, like scientifically, I believe. And as someone who really, really wants to achieve your goals, I'm like, no, 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 you have to be positive. Like you have to get there because this is the way. Yeah. 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 That's definitely difficult. So it's it must take a lot of courage and a lot of self-reflection to be able to navigate through that. That's that's a struggle for me. That's something that I'm figuring out myself. So it, it was refreshing to to hear that it's a struggle, but you've you've managed it through, which hopefully other people would I mean, it's it's a struggle that starts and ends every day. So every day I wake up with I need to get through that mindset and I and the next day I wake up and I, I have to like actively work towards it the next day like it's 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 a it's, constant journey it's yeah. not like you're one and done yeah that makes a lot of sense and I wanted to ask you about success as well because we talked about how not having regrets is what makes you happy and I mean about careers and and everything but um and you said that you're you're happy at this stage of your life which is fantastic what, what what do you think about success? Like, how do you define success? 
Do you think it is related to happiness? Do you think it's related to career? Like what what is success to you? I think success is being proud of your identity and who you are. I think what makes up your identity is several things. Yeah. Of course, career is one of it. Mm-hmm. That we're not going to deny. But it's a lot more than that, right? It's about who you are. What's your character? And your character is defined by the people you spend the most time with. So it's also your identity is the people you are choosing to spend your time with in your life, right? That has to do with your partner that you choose, right? You spend a lot of time with your partner, right? Like that ends up becoming your identity, not just your career, right? I mean, there's so many things. And so whatever this amalgamation of things that make up your identity, are you proud of it? And I think that building a version of yourself that you're super proud of is a journey. I don't think the version of me today, I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm perfect and I'm super proud of it. I think I'm, I think I want to get there. I want to get to becoming a version of myself that I'm like, yep, that's exactly the the girl that I dreamed of becoming. And she's someone I, you know, created and defined for myself. And I feel like that is going to be an unlock for me. But I don't know if that's happiness, right? I think that happiness is a is a moment in time. Like you have to feel happy every day. It's not about like, okay, one day I will be happy or that, you know, there's this certain thing I need to have or I need to be make this much money or like have this career in order to be happy. So I think there's this idea of, you know, being happy every day with who you are today because you are confident you're on the right path to becoming this version of yourself that will ultimately make the final version of your identity, whatever you're crafting for yourself. And so I feel like happiness every day for me is knowing I'm on, and I don't want to say the right path, I'm on a path to defining this final version of my identity, whatever that may be. And the final version of the identity is going to be the day I die. Like that's going to be my final version of my identity. It's not going to be once I sell my company or it's not going to be once I, whatever, become this rich or live in this city or whatever these things are, right? It's going to be the day I die. That's going to be my final version. And so that question of like, am I going to die happy is every single day that I lived my life, was I moving forward toward that final version? The one that I wanted to create, right? Not a different version of that. Yeah. Uh, Before you talked about the last day of your life is your final version. I was going to ask, like, do you actually think it's possible to reach a point where you're completely satisfied with who you are and where you are and what you've created? And because it's human nature to always like want more mm-hmm. or to to kind of question that, oh, this is something that I want to improve on or or to to have this craving or desire to improve some aspect of yourself. Mm-hmm. So I like the point that you mentioned that the final version is the day that you die, like you're improving every single day. And Mm -hmm. just the fact that you're on the path to improvement or to the identity that you want, um, that's, that's happiness to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I really struggle with this because I think a few months ago you asked me this question. I'd be like, nope, I'm. So not the version of myself that I want to be. Once I have X, Y, Z things, then I will be happier. Like, then I will be satisfied. 
And I think I also struggled a lot with like comparing myself with other people my age who have done more um, versus just looking at what I have done and being like, whoa, look what I have achieved. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think I still struggle with it. But one thing that I've recently realized is that even I get the X, Y, Z where it's like, okay, finally I'm happy. or like, finally I've made it or whatever. Knowing who I am and knowing me as being this person who wants to be like 500 different identities and wants to do all these things in the world. The second I have it, I'm just going to be like next. Like what is this next identity I want to tackle or what is this next character I want to embody or like career I want to have or industry I want to explore, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's that like ever present, like learner, explorer. I think I said this in like the very first part of the interview. I was like, I think I would define myself as an explorer. Like I, I feel very curious about the world. And if I constantly embody this mindset of I am incomplete, there is more, I will, I will be unhappy for the rest of my life because I will never be satisfied. Maybe I'll sell a company. I'm like, oh, I want to start a fund now. Or I like have a fund and I invest money. I'm like, oh, I need to return the money and make 10x that. And then after that, I'm like, shit, I was a terrible mom. Like I want to, whatever. Like I could just, I could spiral and come up with 15 things at all points of like how I'm incomplete in another facet of my life. And what I'm working on, and I would love to know your opinion on this is how do I like stop being fixated on all the things I want to be and do and know that there is actually no one moment where I'm done and that the, like life is really just one big adventure and just be really excited about them, just the moment right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a huge question that is people probably will never be able to answer actually. Like a lot a lot of a lot of times, even in the podcast when I ask questions, a lot of the responses are that this is an answer that I will never be able to come up with, but I'm gonna try. So in terms of the fact that how do you stop worrying about all these different things that you want to do and all these different areas that you want to be it's it's almost impossible because our brains are just wired to to think that way and I always talk about life as like our life is like a chess game so uh, like in every chess move like the first chess move that you make you have like uh, three million possibilities and then in by the third step you have like nine billion so it just wow. grows like exponentially. And that's the same way in life. Like with every decision that you take, there's going to be a lot of different possibilities yeah. in the next step as well. Like that's never going to stop. It's going to keep growing exponentially. Like all these, the like the world is ours. All these possibilities are going to continue to increase. They're not going to decrease. It's just that our ability to, I guess, filter and choose the right decisions or choose the the possibilities that are most relevant to our identity our values i think that just gets better and more efficient along the way but the possibilities will never will never decrease um so that's how i would answer it but it's not a direct answer to yeah. your question i mean that was an incredibly interesting way to perceive it i'm gonna think about that after the show <laughs> i really like the analogy made with chess yeah that's just all how i've always thought of it because i'm like the most confused person you will ever meet in the in the Girl, sense. me too. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> like if I have two decisions or two options to choose from, I will think about it the entire day, even if it's something as simple as what I want to eat for dinner. Like 
I'm always confused, which I've kind of, I'm improving on, but I've kind of realized. You should reframe confused to curious. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm always curious. Yeah, you're like this or that or both. Yes, and and the way That's I... That's just curiosity, which is one of the best traits to have, I think. I love that. <laughs> and the way I think of like those options would be I would literally envision like my life or how I would feel if I go through that option versus the other option. So as I envision it me- like mentally in both options, I I think of all the good that I could come that could come with both options and that just makes me curious to try it out Mm -hmm. and so it always leaves me like perplexed but I think that's why this like chess analogy just came about that you know these decisions these options are never gonna end they're gonna grow but um, it takes a lot of like self-reflection to just realize what's the right one for you which is also something I want to work on like I I feel like you're a very self-reflective person the way you've identified the right things for yourself um it's 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 difficult it's really difficult um for me i i love the psychology of other people like i love that sounds weird but what i mean is i love like learning about other people like what the decisions they take how they think but when it comes to myself i don't know how but it's just so difficult to Mm -hmm. think that way about myself Mm -hmm. so that that's definitely something to Mm -hmm. that i also want to work on in this this path of finding Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's like a right answer. Like, this is the way to do it. I think everyone has a different strategy. I know some people who will, you know, wake up every morning and journal for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, I know some people are like, when I'm in the shower, this is me time. This is where I think. None of those strategies work for me. Actually, the strategy that works for me, which I'm not saying would work for other people, is I have all these people that I look up to and I admire and role models. And there's no single person I want to become. But there's facets of each person that I like that deeply respect and admire and I want to kind of embody that for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what I think about a lot is I and, and I feel like this might resonate with you because you love talking to people and observing people and, you know, almost like studying people. Mm-hmm. Looking at the people around you, don't think of, oh, I want to be like her or him. Think of what part of her is exciting to me? What part of her or him do I want to be? And then how can I practice that in my life and you know work towards that and I found that through that process I'm subconsciously constantly reflecting on who I want to be what is out there and who am I today and how do I get there like internally I'm never actively you know saying okay I'm putting one hour to self-reflect now well that's interesting Mm -hmm. because I thought that's something you would do based on like how I wish I was that disciplined I have tried several (laughs) times in my life to I'll literally block off 15 minutes on my calendar journaling I will never do it like (laughs) I try so hard I have no discipline at all I'm a very chaotic person and and, and, and I finally came to terms with this. I was like, let me stop trying to be who I'm not. Let me start. Like, this works for other people. It doesn't work for me. Let me be yeah. my version of myself. That makes sense for me. And I'm I'm always thinking about a million things while I'm in any moment in time. Sometimes that can make me kind of unfocused or a little yeah. spazzy. Yeah. So I do want to work on that. But it's also my superpower where I feel like I have multiple threads going yeah. in my head and, and in the moment at the same time. And I feel like I can manage that. But does that get overwhelming? Of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Oh, my God. Yeah. So much. I have literally, like, it's literally been, like, 8 p.m. in the day. And I have, like, basically feel like I blacked out the day. 
and I'll just start crying. And I'm like, I had the greatest day. Why am I crying? Why am I so upset right now? It's just literally my physical body and my mind is like, you did too much today, girl. Like, and I'm not embarrassed to say that. Um, I think that in those moments, I have felt very embarrassed. I'm like, what? what is going on with me? Why am I randomly emotional? There's like nothing wrong in my life. I just had a phenomenal day. But I think it's my body giving out and being like, you like overworked yourself. Like you took zero moments to pause. And so I don't want to do like live my life like that. I do think that this chaotic version of myself like really comes out very often. So just like anything in the world, like your superpower is also your weakness. Yeah, for sure. And that's mine. So yeah. I'm working on it yeah. and trying to balance it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I love the fact that you said your superpower is also your weakness. Like, because I think for me is, I think my superpower is probably like conversations again. I was talking about it because that's like yeah, my Yeah, you're passion. really good at it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. But in terms of the fact that I, I can just do it for hours and I would, I would like, I'd be in such a complete state of flow that I would not realize what time it is. And I don't know. I just enjoy it. I just love listening to other people talk. Even if I don't say anything, I just love listening to people wow. talk. So, um, but that can become a huge weakness because it's distracting. Like mm -hmm. I can't get anything else done. And number two, because I also listen to a lot of people, it becomes hard for me to form my own opinions at times because I I'm just like taking everything mm -hmm. in, but I don't know how to like filter it. If that you makes sense. remind me of the younger version of myself. Oh, really? Like <laughs> exactly. Like to the <laughs> T, how you're describing like extreme curious extrovert. Like that is literally, <laughs> that was me. I found that I, I mean, up till very, very recently, I was actually like this. And I basically hit a wall where I was like, went basically fully 180 of like, I want to be alone and I want to be not surrounded by people and I want to not have a million conversations. And I came, basically I came full circle in being like so inquisitive of people. And I've tried so many career paths and I've tried so many different things. And I've really had my open mind of, you know, through this process where I'm like fully embracing the moment of whatever that unique thing I'm doing that I almost came full circle of going from, Oh, I want to be like all these people. I want all these people's lives and all of their things to, you know, discovering that exploring them, their person, their life. I mean, like, Oh, like I actually understand the inner workings of them in their life. And I actually don't want that anymore because every like shiny, beautiful thing on the outside has its own problems That's on the inside. And so it's almost like, because I was so deeply explorative and inquisitive and I just like you had a million conversations and was everywhere and constantly trying to be that I feel like I've gotten a deep understanding of what's out there in the world what types of people are out there in the world and almost like going from having the most FOMO in the world to having the least FOMO in the world realizing that I just want to be the I just want to be me I actually like love I love me and I want to there's so much internal growth and so much I need to unlock here that if I constantly spend all my time, you know, investigating other people on their lives and learning of their opinions, I'm not going to have any of my own opinions, my own thoughts, and I'm not going to be living for yeah. me anymore. Yeah. And it was this crazy unlock, this crazy moment where I realized that the ultimate hack to getting rid of FOMO and being so caught up in everyone else's life is actually just having deep love for yourself. And Sometimes it sounds really cringe. It's sometimes it's looking at other people and the choice in the lives that they've made for themselves 
and witnessing that to be like, actually, I don't want that. Like, I actually want what I have. And I and, and it brought this sense of gratefulness in my life as well, where I was like, oh, I, I actually have intentionally made decisions in my life that I'm really proud of and I'm happy. And I, I like this version of myself. There's so much more I want to become and be. And the only way to do that is going to be spending time with myself to unlock that. It's I'm not going to unlock that spending time with other people because I'm going to hear their thoughts that make sense for them. They, that doesn't make sense for me. The only person who knows what's best for me is myself. And I'm not saying to go and do that today. I think you're like, I mean, you're much younger than me. So you have so much to explore. But I'm I'm almost encouraging you to continue on this path of exploration because you will reach a moment where like, I really rabbit hold a lot and I'm I'm ready and I'm excited to now just, you know, unlock this potential I have within me. And I'm so excited to see you get there. And I feel like you're, you're going to be able to resolve it on your own. And I don't think you need to resolve it right now. I think like allow yourself to be creative and curious and everywhere. Yeah. That, that's like kind of, hopefully that was helpful. I don't know. No, for sure. That was, I loved that. That was, it's just, and the, it's just the fact that I feel like because you've kind of resonated with it in your past as well. So everything you've said is just like, oh yeah, that's what I felt. And then it's like, oh, that's what I should do or that's what could happen to me. So yeah, I actually, that was that was a great advice. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and I would agree. And I would agree that at this point of my life, I like that I talk to a lot of people. I like that I explore around and that I'm curious about other people. And even though I try to have like space for myself and have like me time, I do try, I try journaling a lot. I don't do it as often as I wanted to do, but I do it as, as much as I can. Um, but I love like this, like this little social side of me because I enjoy it a lot. And so I'm going to take in whatever I could from, from this energy that I have for, for this passion. So yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank I love you for that for that. you. <laughs> thank you. And so I think it's almost been an hour or more. So I just want to end with one of the main questions of the, okay. of this of this show, which we talked so much about life. We talked about like career and relationships and people and happiness and success. And so I want to end by asking you what you think is the meaning of life. Like what do you oh think life is meant to be? And you, you may not have the answer, but that's totally okay. Wow. I mean, I feel like it was said somewhere in the conversation. Yeah, for sure. I kind of want to come back to what I said earlier, uh -huh. which is I think the meaning of life is living a life with no regrets. Mm -hmm. It's not being the most successful person in the world. It's not being the hottest person in the room. It's not being the loudest person or the smartest person. I think it's just internally understanding what you need from the world and what you want to give to the world and then practicing that every day. So at any moment in time, you're, you're not regretful of your past. And I think that comes with living with a lot of intention yes. and being critical and reflecting subconsciously, actively through journaling, whatever that is. I think the best way to unlock the meaning of life is to internally reflect within yourself. I was so bad at that for the longest time in my life. I'm still trying to figure out how to deeply and critically reflect every single day. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much more I have to uncover and unlock about who I am and like what I'm supposed to do and, and learning from other people. I'm like yeah. so far from being done, but I do think I've come a long way in my life. And just like, 
you know, I'm sure every, like everyone will agree with this, but there, there's infinite things to learn in the world. Like you're never done. It is impossible to be done with learning. Like even the smartest people in the world have so much to learn. And I'm really just excited to, you know, spend my entire life just learning as much as I can. And then, you know, not, not living that life of regrets and being really happy with what I've done and what is yet to be explored. I love that. I love that. It's a great way to and and I, I really like that you said that living life with intention because I think it's very easy to get lost in in what's happening around you and get lost into the flow of of your environment, of the people around you, which is also fine. Like it, it's totally normal to 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 go with the flow as well. But if you're not consciously making a decision into what you want to do uh, each day um like two years down the line you're gonna be in a state where you're like oh like what happened you know and totally. that's that's something that i'm that i'm i'm really trying to focus on like intention living a life with intention yeah. so i love that so thank you very much for Aww, this. thanks love, for having me i love this conversation do you want to do a little cheers <laughs> yes <the> cheers <laughs> so delicious it's cold now I kind of like a cold hot Really? <laughs> wow, thank thanks. you. Thank you so much. Oh my God, I, I had so it. much Did fun. I loved it. <laughs>